It is uh, December 28th, 2016. I will see if we can uh, set a tone for going into the new year here tonight uh, and do it in some kind of reasonable time frame that gets you in bed this year. Our message is called The Positive Shadow. And uh, I'm going to get into that in just a minute. But I wanted to share with you about the toils of the mission field, about the rigor of the mission field. It takes serious grit, serious tenacity to go on the mission field. I, want, I have a pictorial display to help you understand that. It's very, very tough out there. Yeah, uh, here we see... A actual dual massage happening. Andrew is rubbing Buddy's back. He's not sure what to think about that while he's rubbing Curtis's back. In any other setting, that would be strange, but Nick is interceding for the right spirit here. And Brandy's marriage is getting right, right there. (laughs) Look, all joking aside... Uh, We had a blast. And I just want to tell you, we did services differently than we've ever done them before. Uh, We did them in different places than we've ever done them. From our youth to the old people like me, uh, all of us prayed and prophesied. We held no service that was not met with demonic opposition, including full demonic manifestation. And there was no service that we did not cast that out and see someone filled with the Holy Ghost. We saw eyes healed. We saw all kinds of things healed. When you go out into the deep waters, that's where the miracles are. And they're all around us. There's a sea of humanity dying all around us. As I talk to you about the positive shadow today, I want to encourage you, we don't have to go to Mexico to see miracles. We simply need to expect miracles everywhere we go, and they will follow. Amen? Let me show you a definition of shadow as Google defined it today. So, uh, a dark area or shape produced by a body coming between rays of light and a surface. In other words, your position in relation to the light source determines what the shadow is like. Does that make sense? But notice the other associations with it. Used in reference to proximity, ominous oppressiveness, or sadness and gloom. That doesn't sound very good, huh? Anybody want ominous shadows? One of the things that we notice is in our culture, spy games are called shadow games. In our culture, if somebody lives in the shadows, that's not a good thing. In our culture, to say somebody's a shadowy figure associates them with moral unwholesomeness. Is, is that fair enough to say? Uh, we have idioms and expressions like the oldest sin, cast the longest shadow, those kind of, of things. However, when we consider shade, which is a shadow, right? We think of shade as generally a good thing. Hey man, I got it made in the And we're both talking about shadows, but for us, A shadow is a negative thing and shade is a good thing. In the Bible, we don't have that distinction. In the Bible, there is a desert land. 
And in the desert land, to have a shadow is to have shade. And that's a good thing. I want to show you that in the Word. Look with me in Isaiah 25, verse 4 and 5, because the most popular scriptures people can quote in the Bible about shadows give the rest of the scriptures an unwholesome tinge to them that are not correct. In Isaiah 25, starting in verse 4, I want to show you how the Israelites view a shadow. You have been a refuge for the poor, a refuge for the needy in his distress, and a shelter from the storm, and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a driving, a storm driving against a wall, and like the heat of the desert. You silence the uproar of foreigners as heat is reduced by the shadow of a cloud, so the song of the ruthless is stilled. Here, would you say that a shadow is a positive thing? It's something that reduces the fierce desert heat. The shadow in the Bible uh, reference is a good thing. Look at Isaiah 4. You'll see it in a very spiritual sense. In Isaiah 4, pick up with me in verse 5. Say there when you were there. Amen, amen. In Isaiah 4, beginning in uh, verse 4. The Lord will wash away the filth of the women of Zion. He will cleanse the bloodstains from Jerusalem by a spirit of judgment and a spirit of fire. Then the Lord will create over all of Mount Zion and over all those who assemble there a cloud of smoke by day and a a glow of flaming fire by night. Over all the glory will be a canopy. It will be a shelter and a shade. Say shelter and shade. shade. From the heat of the day and a refuge and a hiding place from the storm and the rain. The glory of the Lord cast a shadow. That shadow is a shelter. That shadow is a refuge. That shadow is about protection and nurturing. That shadow is a very positive thing. Well, we're in Isaiah. Grab Isaiah 34. Let's pick up in Isaiah 34 and verse 15. Listen to how it's used in a very natural sense. The owl will nest there and lay eggs. She will hatch them and care for her young under the shadow of her wings. The owl in the Bible protects her young from the sun that's beating down on them, from the rain that's beating down on them, from the predator that would want to hurt them. And how does she do it? She puts them under the shadow of her wings. You can hear our King Jesus speak about this very subject in Matthew 23, 37. Keep your finger where you're at. We're going to put this one on the screen. Matthew 23, 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chick under her wings, but you were not willing. Here we see a spiritual and natural use of the shadow combined. It would be a very natural thing for the mother hen to gather her chicks under her protection, under her wings. And Jesus is saying he longed to gather the people of Jerusalem under the figurative protection of his wings but they were not willing. Can we say that being in the shadow is a good thing in the Bible? A positive shadow. 
I would submit to you that you can find two or three negative uses of a shadow, and we're going to get to those. They'll be mentioned as the shadow of death, and because half the world can quote John 3.16 and Psalm 23 only, they know very little about the positive use of the shadow. Tonight, it's my very great hope that you will learn to position your life in a way that casts the right kind of shadow. That's what I want to talk to you about because that's where life is. That's where good things are. That's the protection and the refuge of the Lord. We're going to begin in the law. We're going to move to the prophets and the writings. Then we'll go to the New Testament law, the New Testament writings, and finish in the New Testament prophets. It won't take all night because you're quick and you'll get it fast. But you'll practice this for a lifetime and there's no better way to position your life in the new year than starting right here. Are y'all ready to go to the law? This will be Exodus 25. And let's read verse 20. Some of you are fast. Exodus 25 and verse 20. The cherubim are to have their wings spread upward. Say upward. upward. I want to hear it better than that. Say upward. upward. Overshadowing the cover with them. The cherubim are to face each other. Say each other. each other. Looking towards the cover. We have three directions here. We have them looking upward. We have them looking at each other. And we have them over the cover. Three very specific points that determine where these cherubim have to be. The cherubim are to have their wings spread upward, overshadowing the cover with them. The cherubim are to face each other, looking towards the cover. When they spread their wings upward, it is overshadowing something. I want to show you this. If we consider... How many of you know what triangulation is? That can be used several ways. Triangulation as a manipulative technique is not a good thing in conversation. It's a calculation between the left and the right and how to always choose the middle ground so that you can remain a weasel. If you want to see that on full display, watch any of our politicians answer any question and you will see that kind of triangulation. I'm speaking about it in a mathematical sense. You can ping a particular location and then another location, and it will help determine where your location is. That kind of triangulation I want to talk to you about. They spread their wings upward. When we say upward, I'd like you to think about the Lord for a minute. In every situation that we're in, if our first thoughts go upward, if the first thing we do is raise our hands upward to give up, to give up in worship, To give up and say, I want my hands on your throne. You'll have to show me what to do. You'll have to show me where to go. That is pinging the very throne of the Lord. And it will help you determine where your position is. Does that make sense? Christians ought to be pretty familiar with that. But there was another thing that they were supposed to do. They were supposed to face each other. Not only do we have to check with the Lord to see where we're at, we have to look towards them, or let's just say our brothers. 
And that also helps you know where you were at. There are two components to your relationship. One is upward. And the other is outward. If you get your upward relationship right, your outward relationship becomes right. It turns out, let's put 1 John 1, verse 5 through 7 on the screen. It turns out that God helps his people triangulate. And this kind of triangulation can be seen in a positive and a negative sense. In fact, let's, instead of 1 John, we're going to come back to 1 John. Let's go to Genesis 3, verses 9 through 13. That will help us see a negative triangulation to start with, okay? But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? What are we trying to do? Find out where the man is. Do you believe for a moment God doesn't know where he is? So why is God asking him where you are? Do you know where you are? (laughs) Okay, so he answered him, I heard you in the garden. So he knows exactly where God is, doesn't he? The first question was, where is the Lord? The second question is, where are you? And the third question has to do with, where are your brothers? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put with me. She gave, transfer all the blame is the oldest sin. She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Now Adam has completely triangulated his position. He knows where God is and he knows where he is. In relation to the Lord, he's hiding, right? He knows where his fellow man is, the only other person on the planet, just as guilty as him. They joined each other in sin. He's correctly triangulated his position to be completely out of the will of God. And the result of that was death. Now let's go to 1 John 1, 5 through 7. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. How do you cast a shadow? You position yourself according to a light source. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. What is the first thing you check with? Where is the Lord and where are you? That's your upward relationship. The last thing that you check with are where are your brothers? Listen to it in this verse. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of his son purifies us from all sin. When you get your upward relationship right, it will always show up in an outward sense. Another way to see this as we go forward is if the light source is here and you are standing in the right place, you will cast the right shadow. Fair enough? What we want to talk about tonight is casting a positive shadow. And to determine whether you're in the right place, you're going to check your relationship both upward and you're going to check your relationship outward. 
It turns out that many people deceive themselves into saying, I'm right with God, but they're not right with man. Put Matthew 5.23 on the screen so that everyone can see it. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, somebody say first. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come offer your gift. What does that tell you about the importance of your outward relationship? You cannot be right with God if you are wrong with your fellow man. But when you are right with God, if you walk in the light as he is in the light, then you will walk rightly with your fellow man. Does that make sense? That's not such a new concept. But in this verse in Exodus, because we started in the law, in Exodus 25, 20, where did the cherubim, when they lifted up their hands, when they faced each other, where did their shadow fall? It fell over the covenant seat called the mercy seat. Your shadow ought to fall over the atonement or the mercy seat. Always. Now, this doesn't mean that everything that you do is characterized by some human version of mercy. It means that everything that you do is characterized by the very atonement of God, which helps you get right with God so you can get right with man. Those cherubim cast a very specific shadow. Do you remember what the ark was like? The ark was a box, you know, it's about from here to here like a small coffee table, about this tall, and it had poles on it. And that's because in the days of the tabernacle, they carried that thing around. So what happens to its shadow? It's always moving in relation to the light source. We are in the days where we are tabernacling in our flesh. You cannot determine this is how I always act. This is what I will always do. Here are my rules. And you can't determine that because God's pillar of fire is moving by day and by night and you have to be in the proper position to it to always cast the right shadow that is atonement and mercy. Does that make sense? You know what that constantly causes you to have to do? To check with God. Say, where are you in this, Lord? Where should I be in this, Lord? How should I be treating my brother in this, Lord? Those three questions will help you walk rightly in 2017. Lord, where are you in my work situation right now? Where should I be in my work situation right now? How should I voice this to those around me right now? When you can triangulate your position, you can make sure that you are casting the right shadow. But you ignore any one of those three things, and what you will be is, I know what you people should be doing. Or, I know I'm right with God, and I don't care about y'all, which means you're not right with God, right? You get to a place where you are no longer casting the right nurturing, protective, refuge, merciful, atoning shadow. How many of you want to cast God's shadow? Amen. The rest of you are writing about it, I hope. Because why would you be here at 8.30 on a Wednesday night if you didn't want to cast God's shadow. While we're talking about this, let's consider then that to have the right shadow, 
We have to be in a place with God and with our fellow man that God says to be. That place we've often called there. Now let's go instead to the prophets. Are you ready? Go to 1 Kings chapter 8. Say there in 1 Kings 8. Where are you at, Larissa? Are you here? Oh, I can hear you. Larissa, how tall is this person? Give me a number. Five feet, one inch. About a foot and a half taller than Larissa. Just want to get my perspectives right. Are you all in uh, 1 Kings 8? So 1 Kings 8 and beginning in verse 1. Then King Solomon summoned into his presence at Jerusalem the elders of Israel, all the heads of the tribes and the chiefs of the Israelite families to bring up the ark of the Lord's covenant from Zion, the city of David. All the men of Israel came together to King Solomon at the time of the festival in the month of Ethnim, in the seventh month. I don't have time to teach on the Solomonic age tonight. We went over and worship, which was a great thing to do, and we're going to do it some more. But in the Solomonic age, had I time to teach on it, we're right now in the seventh month and the seventh feast, which is tabernacles. There's something that's very interesting about the Solomonic age. When we read about it, we're going to find out that the cherubim that are casting a shadow are bigger. Say bigger. bigger. It's huge. <laughs> Just like that guy's hair, right? Not only are the cherubim bigger, the menorah that stands in the temple, much, much bigger, right? It's not just bigger. There's 10 of them instead of one of them. Everything about the Solomonic age is grown. It's much fuller, much bigger It's a greater representation in the Solomonic age. The Feast of Tabernacles is about the salvation of the nations, not just the salvation of a single nation. The Solomonic age is bigger. Say it with me. The Solomonic age is This is Israel's golden age in history. It represents the millennial reign of Christ. The warrior King David has brought salvation to the nation. And now Solomon, his promised son, rules in peace for 40 years. The Solomonic age is bigger. The Solomonic age is bigger. Okay. In verse 3, when all the elders of Israel had arrived, the priests took up the ark and they brought up the ark of the Lord and the tent of meeting and all the sacred furnishings in it. The priests and the Levites carried them up and King Solomon and the entire assembly of Israel that had gathered about him were before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and cattle that they could not be recorded or counted. The priests then brought up the ark of the Lord's covenant to its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, and put it beneath the wings of the cherubim. The cherubim spread their wings over the place of the ark and overshadowed the ark with its carrying poles. It's an interesting thing because this ark has been moving around. And it sometimes was at the house of Obed-Edom. 
It was sometimes on Mount Zion. During the time period of the judges, it moved more frequently than it should. One time it was even in the temple of Dagon. But wherever the ark was, the power of God was. Wherever the ark was, it was symbolic of God's presence being there. And those wings lifted high and facing each other always casted a shadow no matter where they were. And for all of these years, the people of God had to look to see where the ark was, where the light source was, and where that shadow was. And they wanted to dwell in the shadow. And now, conveniently, it's placed in a much bigger room and with much bigger cherubim. And it's never going to move again. Everything should be good then, right? Always when that happens, when you stop having to check with the Lord to see where you're at, having to stop check to see with people to see where you're at, it's never good for us. And the reason that it's never good for us is we no longer need Him to know where we are every moment. And we begin to self-assess ourselves in wrong ways. We credit ourselves with victory because we measure prominently against someone else rather than measuring ourselves against the Lord first and then our relationships with other people. So it didn't take the Solomonic age long before the people were in rampant idolatry. But what it was supposed to symbolize was the going from the small presence of God to the presence of God for the whole world. That's, it was always growth was supposed to be a good thing. I'm telling you this because in our day, wouldn't you think a big church would be a good church? I mean, don't we want lots of people to go to church? Of course we do. But when that principle becomes corrupted to make you less dependent on God, not have to check with Him, not have to check with your fellow man, then the very purpose for which the church began has been destroyed. Does that make sense? Do you know what God does in that setting? He tears down His temple. That's, that's what he does. So I don't have to tell you what is coming in United States history. I don't have to tell you the adjustments the Lord is going to make to his church through persecution because I want to talk to you tonight about the way that we get to grow in the Lord. Turn with me to 1 Kings 6.27. So you'll make a left like two pages. And in those two pages, you're going to find the 27th verse in the 6th chapter. Be blessed by it. He placed the cherubim inside the innermost room of the temple and their wings spread out. Say they spread out. The wings of one cherub touched one wall while the wing of the other touched the other wall. And their wings touched each other in the middle of the room. Not only did they overshadow something, their wingspan covered the entire room. That's a big shadow, huh? The shadow of the cherubim grew through time because the cherubim grew. What was once a coffee table-sized ark that represents the presence of God, now these cherubim are 10 cubits high. They're 10 cubits wide each and put wingtip to wingtip to make them 20 cubits or 30 feet across. So picture this from my hand span to 30 feet across. Did they grow? In the Solomonic age, everything had gotten bigger because the nature of the kingdom is that you are supposed to be growing as a human being. And the shadow that you cast today at five foot, what we say, one inch tall, is supposed to be dwarfed by the shadow that you cast 
when you're six feet tall. It's a different size shadow in a different place. Let me ask you, church, is your footprint, is your shadow growing? Or are you relatively unchanged in this year? See, we are named life-changing ministries because you are ever-growing. The fastest way to have um, self-assessment is to look and see if you are static or if you are moving forward in the Lord. Has He put you in a situation where you have to say, where are you, Lord? Lord, where should I be in this? Lord, where am I in relation to my fellow man? Because what He's teaching you to do is take steps forward that cause you to grow in Him. 2017 is going to be a more challenging year than uh, those that are happy about the election think. The dollar is strong. Business looks like it's going to pick up. We're even going to fight to support Israel. But you know what we are not any more than we were in 2016? Godly. Not at all. We, we are in a country where money and sexism... Now, that's not the right set. Worship of the flesh is God. If, if you have money and beauty, you have everything in this country, but you may have nothing in relation to God. He's going to show us our position. I can promise you that. But tonight, you have a chance to see where your position is because He wants you to be positioned in a way that causes you to be on the mercy seat. He wants to put you on the atonement cover. He wants to help you with those things. Can you say amen to that? While we're speaking of this, as you grow, your shadow grows. Let's go to the writings. In the writings, we can see that uh, in a really beautiful way. Uh, Nolan, step up there and erase that, would you? In the writings, Psalm 17 and verse 8. Psalm 17 and verse 8. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Is that a positive thing? Yes, there's a benefit to being in the Lord's shadow. How about Psalm 63 in verse 7? Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. This is the king of Israel talking about the refuge, the protection, the benefit of being in the right place with the Lord. But that's not the only way these verses are quoted. Uh, put Isaiah 9-2. In Isaiah 9-2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. If this is our light source, call the art police when I leave here, and something, and that's awful, it's supposed to cast a shadow positioned to the light source, right? As this light comes down to the cross, it's going to cast two kinds of shadows. How you stand in relation to the cross is either going to be death or it's going to be life. Put John 3.16 on the screen. In John 3.16, we see, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. 3.17. 
For God did not send a son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. 3.18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. The shadow was supposed to mark the place of atonement. It was supposed to place the mar- the, uh, mark the place of the mercy seat. This is what we were supposed to find at the cross. But the reality is, if you don't stand in the right position to the cross, what was meant to save you actually condemns you. Does that make sense? Triangulating your position, knowing where you're at with God, your upward relationship, and knowing where you're at with man, your outward relationship, helps you know whether you stand in life or you stand in death. What kind of shadow are you casting? We've been talking about what kind of shadow you stand in. Right, another stand in uh, uh, passage. How about Psalm 91 and verse 1? This is another one where you stand, a man standing on the right side. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Verse 2, look what, it, what that means. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, because that's what a shadow is, a refuge, a fortress, my God in whom I trust. The man who stands in the right position to the cross, he has God as his refuge and fortress. But if you're on the wrong side of it, what is he? The exact opposite. A a destruction. Uh, the, The most unsafe place for you on the planet. You stand in condemnation. Tonight, I don't want to talk about the condemnation that you could stand in. That's not why you're here. You feel that every time that you're outside the presence of God. Tonight, I want to ask you if you are standing in the right place with the light source, what kind of shadow are you casting? Everything in the Solomonic age does what? It gets bigger, it grows. I want to give you an example of that. In Isaiah 32, turn to Isaiah 32 with me. We're going to be in verse 1. This, uh, this probably is not something you have memorized. You're going to want to see this. See, a king will reign in righteousness, and rulers will rule with justice. By the way, we're talking about the Solomonic or Messianic age. Each man will be like a shelter, a refuge from the wind, and a refuge from the storm, like streams of water in the desert... And the shadow of a great rock in a thirsty land. What will each man be like? A refuge. Like a a resting place. Like the shadow cast by a very great rock. Friends, who is the rock? Yeah, it's it's not that guy that had to liposuction his chest so that he could be an international sex symbol. Yeah, y'all didn't know he did that, did you? Yeah, you got to say something about a dude. This got to liposuction his chest. Dwayne, no, you have. We'll leave it alone. If a dude has to liposuction his chest, yeah, we live in an interesting time, don't we? Yeah, I, I gotta say it one more time. A dude <laughs> had to liposuction his chest because he was so vain 
and he knew that people were so vain, you wouldn't buy tickets to see his movies if he had any fatty deposits around his ever-growing pectorials. Tell me that we are not completely overcome with the flesh in this country. Okay? Uh, and they can make like nine movies with Fast and Furious that are all about sin. And people will go watch it because he liposuctioned his chest. Right? Can I tell you that Jesus Christ didn't have to liposuction his chest? Yeah, I don't want to get off any further. The dude liposuctioned his chest. Reminds me of an Aerosmith song, but I'm going to leave that one alone too. In Isaiah 32, the rock who is Jesus Christ, the rock who is higher than I, the spiritual rock that followed them in the desert, the rock of salvation, the rock that in Daniel 2 was cut out of a mountain and filled the whole earth, the rock cast a shadow. And the men that follow that king become like the rock that cast the shadow. Look at what happens when this happens. Then the eyes of those who see will no longer be closed. And the ears of those who hear will listen. The mind of the rash will know and understand. And the stammering tongue will be fluent and clear. No longer will the fool be called noble. No longer will the fool be called noble. Nor the scoundrel be highly respected. Oh man, I cannot wait for this day. The point here is that the mercy seat, the cherubim, they cast a certain kind of shadow. But God expects you also to cast a same kind of shadow. Everything has to grow. And what started as one box in Israel and later filled a whole temple is supposed to fill the entire earth vis-a-vis you. Oh, what a high calling. When you are thinking about this very topic, you have to become a refuge. You have to become protection for the people. As you stretch upward, what will God cause you to do? Stretch outward. As you go upward, what does He cause you to do? As you go upward, you will stretch outward. Do you remember as Jesus ascended what He told them? You go into all nations. See, as he went upward, he caused you to stretch outward. Why do we see miracles when we go outward? Because you going outward is a sign of you having been upward. A life that is stationary and that is static. If it grows bigger, it grows bigger in all the wrong ways. The way we are supposed to be growing bigger is that we are ever reaching further out. The wings of our cherubim need to touch both sides of the wall. They need to cast such a big shadow that everything that enters the room is in it, not just a small selective space. Does that speak to you at all? Jesus said this in a manner of speaking in a parable. Turn with me to Mark 4. Say there when you're there. In Mark 4, let us look at verse 30. Again, he said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? And what shall we 
used to describe it. It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants. And such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade or its shadow. Has God planted something in you that helped you get right with Him? It got your upward relationship right. So now your outward relationship is growing and others can take refuge in your branches and others can be protected by the shade that you cast. When I look out, I see John and Joy. And I remember when they were scared kids that came into our ministry. They were obsessed with paintball and things that are just... that don't grasp their life now. They were like so many that we we meet. They thought that they're right with God if they just had some semblance of which way was up. But they had no idea how upward was supposed to take you outward. But they dedicated themselves to the process of discipleship. We've watched their life grow so that they began taking care of other people's children. And those children were blessed by their life taking uh, refuge in their shade. Then we saw God bless them with children of their own, a home of their own, and disciples that moved in their house. Do you know why? What starts as small as a three by five box in Israel has to grow to be the temple that represents God's name. What starts in a garden as small as a mustard seed, your shadows got to grow as your stature in the kingdom has to grow. Our real problem is that we want bigger churches and smaller people. I mean, I'm just going to be really honest. What we really want is a huge building to attract everyone, and we want spiritual midgetry inside of the building. I don't know anything. I just want to be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. Yeah, well, the problem with those people is they cast a tiny shadow that no one can take refuge in. We are supposed to be an ever-growing people, rising to the height, width, breadth, depth of Christ. And as you mature, and He matures inside of you, do you know what it allows people to do around you? Benefit from that. Those of you that have been here since the beginning, we began this ministry 15 years ago now. 15 years ago, we were different people. We have grown, and as we have grown, the benefit to others in the church has grown right along with us. That's what a healthy spiritual life looks like. It is ever growing. Does that make sense to you? Yes. Is your shadow growing? Is, is your footprint growing? When you say that you're reaching upward, does it show in a shadow that is being cast outward? See, I say that the higher you go in our plane here, whether you think of it as an XY axis or whatever you do, in our plane here, the taller we make this man, the longer his shadow ought to go outward, yeah? The shorter we make him, the shorter his shadow are to go out. 
Those cherubim were getting bigger as a sign that God wanted all of the nations to be saved. The menorah went from seven to 70 because God wanted everyone to know he wanted every nation in the world to be saved. He had that occur in the seventh month during the seventh feast when the 70th bull was sacrificed because he wanted you to know that he was casting the shadow of the Most High over the entire world. He wants you to grow so that the shadow that you cast includes them and not just you. Can you say amen to that? Let's then look at how to position our life in that shadow. I have just a handful of passages here for you. But I think that they're worth considering. More than considering. Mulling over. More than mulling over. Deeply meditating on and chewing on. I was in Matamoros, Mexico this Christmas. And it was Christmas morning. And I had just surprised uh, David with a sermon. And by surprising him with a sermon, I mean I said... Good morning. It's good that we're all up and awake, right? And everybody's like, yeah, amen. I said, well, David's going to preach to us in just a minute. But I want to show you a scripture the Lord showed me. Hey, he slayed it. You know why? His spiritual stature is moving upward, and so his shadow is casting further out. That's a shadow that his family is going to benefit from more in 2017 than any other year because he's not going to shrink backwards ever again. That's a shadow that then the household begins to cast even in the neighborhood, never moving backwards again, right? This is how this works. You can't get a bigger shadow without growing in Christ to a higher stature. It's going to have to happen as you move upward, God moves you outward. Amen? Amen. In Luke 1, verse 26, I was reading this Christmas morning and I got so blessed I didn't know what to say. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married and named, uh, med- pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. In these first verses, what are the only things that you know about Mary? She's kept herself pure before God, and she has a covenant with a man. You got me? She has a relationship upward and she has a relationship outward and neither have been tainted by sin. That's an important point here, okay? It's a really important point as to why God chooses her. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. See, you could triangulate Mary's position on the globe. You could say she knew where God was, he knew where she was, and she had the right relationship to her fellow man. And do you know what that meant? It meant she was favored by God. Oh, what would it mean to you to have a life that was favored by God? To know that he was proud of you. To know that he was happy of the way you related to everyone else and to him. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. How many of you would not see that as a blessing at 16 years old? Would not see that as a blessing before your wedding day? Would not see that as a blessing while you're still living in mom and dad's house? 
Mary, uh, what's that? You know, I've just been eating Twinkies. Looks like a baby bump, Mary. <laughs> you know, can you imagine the first time she had to go see Joseph? I mean, can you imagine what this must have been like? Hey, greetings, you're highly favored. I'm going to wreck your life. That's exactly what the cross does, though. It absolutely did. Peyton, did it wreck your life? But it put it right back together in a more beautiful way, huh? You are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Her life would have to be wrecked and put together by God to be able to cast a shadow that would bless the world. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. I don't want to go through the Hebrew for the word over, but if we were to go through it, it consists of an ayen and a lamed. To watch, know, or shade the shepherd's teaching. That's, that's the paleo for it. Mary's life was positioned in a way that she was shepherded by God. So she was casting the right kind of shadow. Mary had checked her relationship with the Lord and checked her relationship with her fellow man so God could use her. He would overshadow her and she would overshadow every other woman that's ever lived. All generations would call her blessed. Oh, man. Can we say high calling? Now, I spent a lifetime preaching against the Catholicism worship of Mary because it's devilish and it's idolatrous. Having said that, Mary is an extraordinary human being. She would be the first to say, don't worship me, don't venerate me, don't bow to me, don't ask my statues to cry, bleed, weep, anything else, because it's sin. She loved the Lord, and she loved her fellow man. So her response to this angel is, may it be unto me, as you have said. She wanted to be overshadowed by the Lord in a way that caused her to cast a shadow that engulfs every woman that has ever lived because the Bible says they will all call her great. Oh, man, how do you grow in your stature with the Lord to cast the big shadow? You're going to have to spend time in the shadow of the Almighty, in the resting place of the Almighty. Church, do you want that? Do you want to be in the refuge? Do you want to be in the resting place? Do you want those things? You have to check where you're at with him and with your fellow man. And when you get that answer, you can know that the favor of the Lord is on you. That might mean that you have to move. It might mean that you have to reposition. I want to talk to you for just a minute about a man who constantly had to reposition. I don't have time to go through each of them. But can I tell you that Peter is mentioned 176 times in the New Testament alone? Nobody else comes close to Peter. 52 times for John. And there's more than one John. There's not more than one Peter. 42 times for James. Even though there's more than one James. And there's not more than one Peter. Nobody else comes close to the number of times that Peter is mentioned. He's mentioned first in every list that is made of the apostles. 
but he's also most known for being rebuked by Jesus Christ. If that weren't enough, rebuked by the Apostle Paul in the letter to the Galatians. He might be the most corrected man in all of the Bible. I can't tell you the number of times that Peter did things like strike with a sword, cut off somebody's ear, or speak up when everybody else shut up, and and Jesus turned and said things like, are y'all still so dull? And, And poor Peter is the one corrected in every case because he's somebody with incredible potential. Sometimes, if you want to grow in the kingdom, it's going to require that the Lord discipline you. Sometimes if you want to mature, that maturity only comes by persevering under trial, seeing your failure and having to push past it. Sometimes recognizing where your stature is shows you where you need to grow. Peter was among the most corrected men that have ever lived. I mean, if we go to people that are not influenced by the paganistic church at Rome and you ask them, what is Peter most famous for? They're going to say, denying Christ. They say, Peter sank beside Galilee. They'll say, uh, Peter rebuked by Paul. There are so many chances to see Peter as having small stature. Do you know in seminary they teach that Peter had poor Greek, that his letters are written with terrible grammar? You know, they teach that. Diminish, diminish, diminish. You know, Peter grew in spiritual stature to the place that Acts 5.15 says this. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. How incredible. They got healed based on his shadow. Do you know why? Every correction, every crushing, every chance that he had to repent, triangulate his position, go, did I offend you or did I offend them? Both? Oh my goodness. I I will correct on both levels. Every time he had to do that, he grew just a little bit. And every time he got corrected and crushed and humiliated, Jesus restored him just a little bigger than he was before. So that the man is the only man. The Apostle Paul didn't do this. He's the only man in all of recorded history whose shadow healed people just like God's shadow healed people. This means that he had the right relationship to the light source. And the result was as he grew upward... The presence of God spread outward in every direction. Oh, how good is that? What kind of shadow is your life casting? Is it the kind that's ominous, that's dark? Are you so spiritually short that your shadow doesn't extend beyond your feet? If we're going to grow upward, it will be evidenced by our outward effect. And the further you try to reach outward, do you know what it will do? It will make you have to grow upward because you become in need of Him. 
When you sit static in a place and you pretend that God's light source never moves and you don't need to move, apathy sets in. But when you check your position against His and against your fellow man every day, how can you help but grow? And if you should find yourself in a place where you don't know the language they're speaking or you are not safe, or you don't have the money you think you need, or the clothing you don't think, or the shelter. Do you know who has to be your refuge and your protection? The Lord does. And so you grow in His shadow, and others take refuge in yours. The age-old saying is, nothing grows in the shade. Christians do. Oh, man. Christians do. They say, uh, hey man, that brother's got it made in the shade. There's only one that was actually made in the shade. When the presence of the Almighty overshadowed Mary, he was made in the shade. I have two concepts left for you, and it's 9-10, and it's our last service of the year. Do you have time for two more scriptures? Yeah. If you have time for two, could you grow to four? <laughs> I'll put them in the same books for you. Is that okay? Turn with me to Hebrews 10.1. Can I tell you I'm having the time of my life in this church? I had no idea that this would be this much fun. The first seven or eight years took all of my hair. By year nine and ten... I had no desire to run, to work out. To, all I really wanted to do was spend the very few hours that I was not busy sleeping or eating. I, I can tell you that shows today. If I had had any idea just how beautiful this would become and that all of the correction, all of the perseverance, all of the adversity was producing a shadow that would stretch into five continents producing a shadow that would support missionaries around the world, producing a shadow that would turn out disciples that used to take 10 years and do it in a year's time. Oh, man, I would do it all over again 10 times uh, as intensely. This is the best life a man can have. I want to thank you for that. I want to thank the Lord for that. I'm going to tell you we're not half done yet. Are you in Hebrews 10? The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the reality themselves. You've heard negative description after negative description of the law through preaching and teaching for 2,000 years. But in the Hebrew mind, the shadow was a positive thing. The shadow was the thing that preceded the reality. So the law was a way to triangulate your position, to show you where you stood with God and man, to show you how to make sure that you were in the shadow of the atonement, the mercy seat. It was beautiful, spiritual, holy, and good. And uh, Romans 7.21, which we're not turning to because it won't count in my four scriptures. Paul says the law is spiritual, holy, and good. Okay? Do you know why? It helped you figure out how to be in the shadow. When we say the law is only a shadow and not the reality, that's like saying you have the kingdom, but not the kingdom that is 
coming fully on the world. It's not to diminish what you have. It's to say that what followed it was an even bigger blessing. Does that make sense? Oh, I've read that wrong my whole life. Let me give you a verse that helps you get it right. It's Hebrews 8, 5. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. The very tabernacle on earth, the temple on earth, was a shadow of what was in heaven. Did that make what was on earth bad? No, it meant that it was positioned in such a way that heaven was shining upon it. It was positioned in such a way to the light source that men could find refuge, nurture, and protection in it. It was a positive shadow, not a negative shadow. It was the only way that you could see what was coming. The shadow indicated that the reality was close at hand. You follow me? If Andrew shadows me, that's another English use of this word. If I'm walking and he's shadowing me, it means he's doing what I'm doing. If you're in the Lord's shadow, you're close enough to be with the Lord. It's an indicator of proximity. Okay? The law was a shadow of what was coming. It put you in proximity to what was coming. It showed you how you relate to God and how you relate to man so that you could answer those three questions earlier. Where is the Lord? Where am I? And where am I in relation to my brother? And you could find yourself making the adjustment to dwell in His shadow. Amen? Amen. All right, our last two scriptures. Go with me to Revelation 21. Everything in the Solomonic Age was... Now we're going to read about the Messianic Age, the actual millennial reign of Christ. In Revelation 21, starting in verse 2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Who is the bride of Christ? Who is the bride of Christ? I saw the holy city... The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven prepared as a... This bride's as big as a city, y'all. Big girl. She fat. Fat with a PH. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has gone away. The very light source has now joined with the city. Look at verse 22 of the same chapter. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. You are the city and He is the temple. You know why we call the Messianic age an age of rest? Why we call the the millennial reign, a a Sabbath for God's people, you don't have to triangulate anymore. You don't have to say, where is the Lord? Where am I? And where is my brother? Because you are in Him and He is in you. The light source has taken you over. There's no more need for a shadow. The reality has landed. 
We're growing towards something. As we move upward, as we draw near to the Lord, do you know what His kingdom is doing, what He's doing? He is drawing near to us because God desires for every person on this planet to know Him, to thrive in Him, to be blessed by Him. It was never His intention that people would dwell in a place called the shadow of death. That happens when the Holy Spirit begins to tell them, you're not right with God. You're not right with your fellow man. I see where you are, and you need to repent. And they say, no. What does your life tell them about that process? You could be like Peter, the most corrected man in here, but growing in the Spirit so that your very shadow gives them hope it's still possible for them. You could be like Mary, still young, not having had experienced horrible failure, but because you were doing all that you knew how to do to be right with God and man, He's overshadowing you in a way that would cause your stature to grow through every generation. You could be like David, a man who was known for his failure, but remembered for his success. Church, what kind of shadow you cast is going to depend on whether or not you can get your relationship right with God and with man. In 2017, I'd like us to reassess our position. Have you grown stagnant in this house? If you can look back over 12 months and you haven't grown, your shadow is not stretching out further, you need to repent. Take assessment of where you're at. You can do that by looking around you and seeing whether or not you have stretched outward this year. If you can look and see that you love the Lord as much as you've ever did and you've never been more active in sharing your faith, then you ought to know you're dwelling in favor despite what, what the devil tells you. But you have to take assessment of your life. In a couple of days, people are going to make New Year's resolutions. They won't keep them. I mean, the vast majority won't. If everybody that joined the health club in January was there in December, you could not close the doors on the building. There would be so many people in there. You count, you count on more than an 80% attrition rate in the sign-ups in a health club. You know how I know that? I've been on both sides of it. It was my job to sign people up on a corporate level. I signed up Halliburton, and I knew 80% of them wouldn't come, but I'd get 100% of the royalties. It was a great deal for me and a terrible deal for them. If you bet on people sinning, if you bet on people breaking, you'll always be right, but you'll be a loser. I decided to invest my whole life in betting that you wanted to grow. I, I decided to invest my entire future in your progress because Jesus invested his whole life in me in the very same way. Yeah. Tonight, if we could stand to our feet,
I'll remember this year as the year that Keith got serious about God. I mean, it's, it's left a mark on me. It gives me hope. It gives me hope because there were years he was not so serious about the Lord and I was trying just as hard then. But something changed. It's kind of nice that he has a beautiful wife who loves the Lord. That's helpful. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. What will you remember 2017 for? See, that's worth noting. There's all the things that you want the Lord to add to your life. But there are also the things that you have to grow in so you can add something to other people's lives, right? What do you want to remember 2017 as? I think 2017 is going to be the year that the Carters remember that God promised them their household would be a platform for launching ministers. I believe that. I believe 2017 is going to be the year that we can look back on and say, Islam began to be ran out of Turkey. It started there. Nobody could see it maybe for a hundred years, but it started in 2017. There are so many things we can do with the presence of the Almighty. But it all starts with your stature rising to the place that it should be. Earlier we prayed for marriages. Earlier we prayed for, for children. We prayed for blessings for you. Now I'm asking you, what do you need to become for them? Because your life's got to be more than about you. You're supposed to reach upward so you can reach outward. What has to change?